because I'm so obsessive with calendar management and blocking and stuff, I block time to make sure I have quality time with individuals, direct reports, key people in my life, yeah, including obviously wife, kids, etc. is trying to make sure you get good one-on-one -on -one time with, with anyone that matters in your life. Hello and welcome to Run the Business, the podcast that explores the place where running and leadership come together. We'll find out how running can help us with leading, managing people, and generally being better in business. We'll also try and answer that question, do runners make better leaders? I'm Anthony Gay, and today I'm joined by a CEO and a company founder who started his career as a British army officer and now claims to be running obsessive and fitter now than when he was in the army. His company, The Portfolio Collective, seeks to bring entrepreneurs together through networking, upskilling, and community. Ben Legg, welcome to Run the Business. It's good to be here. How are you today, Ben? Uh, very well, actually. Yeah, I'm feeling good about life. Uh, looking forward to the weekend, too. Now, I know you're an early starter. So did, did you get out running today or is that something happening this weekend? It's definitely over the weekend. I'm, I'm typically about three times a week. So typically that's Saturday, Sunday, Wednesday. Uh, although, obviously, sometimes that has to change. And tell us where about, firstly, you are in the world. So I live in central London. My main running routes are in and around London. So I love you know running up and down the the Thames. You know, I live in Chelsea, so going over to say Tower Bridge and back, etc. Around the parks, um, and then now and again I'll mix it up by doing something else. And tell us also a little bit about the Portfolio Collective uh, and, and what that means, and, and what the the idea of a portfolio career is. Yeah, so portfolio career at, at its simplest term is just a, a career in which you make money from multiple sources rather than having just one job. So it can start with a side hustle. It needs to be a, a paying side hustle. If it's not paying, it's a hobby. But you, know, you start making money on the side. But if you go all in, it typically means you kind of ditch the day job and um, start generating money in multiple ways. And it's you know, as I'm sure you can imagine, it's been expanding like crazy. And the forecast is that 50% of all adults in the world will effectively have portfolio careers by 2030. So it's, it's becoming a thing in almost every level of society, every industry. Uh, it's becoming a bigger and bigger thing. And uh, the Portfolio Collective, we launched at the beginning of lockdown, so sort of um, mid-2020, because basically in early lockdown, a lot of people either quit or got laid off and decided they didn't want a traditional job anymore. They would rather have a portfolio career. And so we, uh, I already had a portfolio career. Yeah, mine's you know, a mixture of working with startups, working with investors, and doing a bit of thought leadership. And and uh, yes, lots of other people said, I want a career a bit more like that. How do I do it? So we formed a community to help people launch careers, connect with each other, hire each other, um, yeah, help each other out, that kind of thing. And we're up to 8,000 members all over the world now. Fantastic. And Ben, tell me about the journey that took you to this place, because I mentioned it in the intro, you were in the army and yep. um, that w and and you know beyond that you you had a successful career uh, as well so t tell us a, a little bit about what took you to this place yeah so you can think of my my background in decades because i've got a few so the first decade was the army i went for, straight from school to santos to do officer training but picked up an engineering degree while i was in the army so i basically spent 10 years in the royal engineers traveling around the world building things and blowing things up uh, lots of fun doing both um, decade two was, was big business. I went from the army to McKinsey as a strategy consultant, um, officially based in London, in reality, all over the world. From there to Coca-Cola, did various sales and marketing jobs in Greece, Poland, and India, ended up running a big turnaround at Coca-Cola in India. 
Uh, so that was decade two. Then decade three, you could call kind of big tech. Um, I was the CEO of Google Europe for a bit and then did various tech CEO jobs around the world, uh, mostly in advertising, although towards the end in mobility. Um, and then about um, five years ago now, I decided I enjoyed my side hustles more than my day job. So I ditched the day job and spun up my side hustles into a career and uh, did that for a year or two before lockdown began and I, I launched the Portfolio Collective. Let's set the running scene as well that goes parallel to that. Because mm -hmm. you mentioned that in the army, actually, you, you, you know, or after the army, you felt fitter and better as a runner mm -hmm. than when you were in, in the army. So, so where specifically and when specifically did you consider yourself a runner? Yeah, it's, it's been a journey and it wasn't all always um, up, although I've never had some you know, real down. So if I start as a kid, I was very active, but I definitely wouldn't have called myself a runner. I was in the scouts and the cadets and I played sport and I cycled everywhere. So I was fit, but not, I, I, I didn't really like running. Then I joined the army and you know knew I had to be fit. So obviously the army throws a lot of fitness training at you and I did and enjoyed it. But I just thought, you know, I'm an officer. It's my duty to be fitter than average. So whatever the army throws at me, each week, I'll do one additional run. And for a lot of my time in the army, I was based in hilly places, parts of Germany and, and Bosnia and elsewhere. And I thought I'm just going to do a sort of mountain run. So every typically Sunday, I'd throw in a six, eight, maybe 10 mile run just to say, if I do everything the army throws at me, plus one more run, I'll always be fitter than average. And so I guess that's when I started thinking, do you know, what? I really like doing this. I, I will happily give up free time and it, you know, you know, makes me feel good, blah, blah, blah. So I guess that was the start of it. Um, then when I left the army, I probably slipped a bit. I basically said I never want to be unfit. And so my way of staying reasonably fit was to do one run per week. So typically with the dogs in a wood somewhere, you know, six, eight, maybe 10 miles. So decent distance, I'd argue these days, um, yeah, not as good a pace as, as I should have done, but it was kind of nice and it was really enjoyable. It meant I was never unfit, but quite frankly, got a bit chubby. <laughs> Although I did throw in a London marathon along the way. Um, we had to do some extra training for that. It's probably in decade three, as I described earlier, the kind of the tech phase where I started really getting more serious and it kind of happened gradually. It was kind of a fun journey. So I, I moved to the US to, to become the CEO of this um, big advertising technology group. And I was living in Kansas City and I got there thinking, right, yeah, I'll do my one run a week. But then I was often traveling midweek to some other part of the US or the world. And I would travel with colleagues and quite a few of them were runners and their routine was running midweek, not the weekend. And they said, do you want to come for a run? I thought, well, I never say no to a run. So I started running midweek and then that just became a habit because I thought, yeah, this is great. I'll do a run on the weekend and one or two runs midweek. So before I know it, I was up to you know, three uh, runs a week and that routine has stuck and still stuck with me now. But then other things suddenly crept up on me. I started thinking, do you know what? I'm getting quite fit now. I'll sign up for a half marathon. And did it and thought that time wasn't very good. I'll sign up for another one. <laughs> Just, and, and I'm a slightly, um, I can be an obsessive person and, and quite competitive with myself. And yeah, started signing up for a few half marathons a year and generally saying I want to do better. I'm now I think at a place where I, I'll say, you know, uh, I'm good enough, although you never know with me. And, and then along the way, got a Fitbit as well. That was maybe 10 years ago now. So you start tracking stuff and competing, having fun competitions. 
it kind of it's built up till it's now a really deeply entrenched habit and one that I love. You you've touched on so many things there that we can we can you know pick up on and and, and get into. Uh, this podcast is obviously about how running might help us in business and leadership. You've actually given thought to this. I know you wrote a blog on it um, about sort of CEOs and their relationship with with running and running the world. What can you summarize some of the thinking at, at that point when you wrote that blog? What was on your mind and some of the points that you drew on there? I guess a lot of people were just saying, you know, how do you find time to keep fit and be a CEO as a global company, et cetera. And I always thought, I don't think I could do the CEO stuff without doing the fitness thing. First of all, I just, as a general brief, I think people that exercise have more energy. If you have more energy, you can get more done. I, I think that's true. You probably know better than me if that's scientific or not. But I think it is. Yeah. And, and so I, I, I kind of thought I need to be fit, but I just kind of formed habits that helped with things like energy, but also jet lag. So for example, what I, I was traveling all over the world a lot, US, Europe, Asia, et cetera. One of the ways I got over jet lag is wherever I got to, I would obviously sleep, but it'd be a course myself straight into the new time zone, but I would go for a run at sunrise and I just love running at sunrise. I found the kind of bonding, whereas, you know, traveling with people and saying, all right, let's go for a run was a nice way to bond. You know, it also stops you, let's say, wanting to eat or drink too much the night before because, you know, you're off at 6 a.m. for a run. So I felt like just kind of saying, I'm going to run a few times a week formed a lot of good habits that gave me energy, you know, uh, improved with bonding, tackled uh, jet lag, et cetera. So it just kind of kicked in. I mean, and there were other things too. So at some stage uh, in the U.S., I was sitting with my head of HR and our health insurance company. And now health insurance in the U.S. Uh, is insanely expensive and seems to be up at 10 or 20% a year, even if your workforce doesn't grow or become sick. And I just said to my head of HR, I don't know if this is possible, but how we find a way to keep our previous lap by making our workforce fitter? And she got for a challenge. She said, yeah. First of all, we thought about giving everyone in the company a Fitbit. It was about 350 people in the company. I thought, that's pretty expensive. So we offered everyone the chance to get a 50% subsidized Fitbit. We switched a lot of our budget that we had for pizza and VAT building into things like treasure hunts and things, slightly a bit more active. We said anyone that raises money for charity for anything active will will match it uh, and will pay for the equity fee. A bunch of other things. We ended up for the next three years keeping our health premiums flat when the rate of inflation was 10%. Oh, we also incentivized people that if their stats got better, you know, like whether it's, you know, BMI or, or whatever, we wouldn't give them $200. So, so it was a mixture of carrot stick and fun, quite frankly. I think we spent about like $300 a year per person. And that saved us about $1,000 per person in health premium. What, what year was that, Ben? Yeah, 2014, 15, 16, something like that. Because you were so ahead of, of the curve on that. Because, I mean, these days with health uh, policies and, you know, at, at work sort of health, th this now is something which is probably more, you know, more in the mainstream. But this, this was kind of ahead of its time, wasn't it, in, in, in approaching it this way? I, I guess so. I, I you know we were an innovative tech company and uh, you, you kind of, you challenge everything and, and love data and, and what have you. So I guess, I, I didn't know what the world was doing, but I just thought this has got to be a better way. And I guess it obviously fitted with my own lifestyle and values anyway, but there were enough advocates that the whole company got on board. And you also mentioned, I mean, the thing about leading businesses and, and when you're up there speaking and you're in the public eye, um, there's there's a self-esteem thing as well, isn't there, about kind of how you look? Yeah, there is. Because, yeah, when you are a CEO, you're absolutely, you're on stage more, you're, you're on TV, I was on TV more, uh, you know, you're photographed more, et cetera. 
And I remember at some stage, someone who is kind of a friend and a very influential person was trying to be nice to me and did a social post congratulating me on something, I forget, some award or whatever. But he just Googled me and picked a photo of me that was a bit chubby. And I just thought, A, I'm feeling that now. Uh, but B, yeah, I need to have more good photos than bad out there. I don't want to be thought of as the, the, the chubby CEO. Yeah, and I think, you know, this is probably one of the reasons why you know, actors and musicians and stuff are often fit, other than the fact, you know, especially musicians have to prance on stage for hours every night. But there's an element of the more you're in the public eye, you know, the, the probably the, you know, the more vain you get and whether it's just vanity or actually there's something in it, you know, maybe you're more respected by being fit, et cetera. I certainly, I know a lot of Silicon Valley CEOs and most of them are incredibly fit. Something you touched upon in, in that uh, blog around running was around uh, c- calendar blocking and making sure that you prioritize uh, your your running, your fitness uh, in, in your week. How do you manage that now when you are mixing, you know, various different responsibilities? So I, I, I'm a kind of a calendar obsessive. It's not just the fitness, it's almost everything. Yeah, weekends are a little bit more relaxed, but because I'm building the portfolio collective and I try to prioritize two thirds of my working time to that. I have my portfolio career and clients, you know, working with you know, startups and investors and universities and stuff. I have to do that. But then I also block uh, time for family, helping my wife with the kids or whatever. I block time for exercise. I even block time for lunch just because otherwise people take that slot. And I color code it. So it's like different colors for, yeah, basically the portfolio collective, paid portfolio career work, unpaid portfolio career work and charity stuff, and then health and family. I kind of put in recurring stuff, like most exercise stuff is recurring. Obviously, other stuff is a one-off because I'm also a big fan of Calendly, you know, for blocking calendars. And that means I need to make sure the time I don't want to give people is blocked. Otherwise, I'd end up filling my whole calendar just with Zoom calls or something, which uh, would probably be a bit depressing. So... Yeah, I, I've got rec- yeah, recurring things for exercise and anything else active that I want to do. When you think back on your time as a CEO compared to the you know the the, the roles that you, uh, the role that you have now with the portfolio collective, what do you look at as as the leader that you were then and, and the the style that you had uh, when you were in that sort of ad tech the corporate world compared to where you are now? What what's changed? And so probably the biggest thing, and it's hard to say, is if this going to change a job or change of the way the world works, is less travel. I mean. It, at the peak, when I was the the CEO of AdKnowledge, I traveled 46 weeks in the year. Um, so I only had six weeks when I didn't travel. And when I'm talking travel, I'm talking like getting on a plane. And even then, some weeks wasn't just going to one place, it's going to three places. You know, At the extreme, I had one day, I forget, five, 10 years ago, where I had uh, a breakfast meeting in London, lunch in Berlin, and dinner in Paris. Oh, it's kind of crazy. Wow. So, so there's a lot less time traveling. So worry about jet lag is not such a big deal. Although I still have clients in the US and, and Asia, but it's nearly all phone or Zoom. So, so that less travel, less worry about jet lag is one, which obviously typically makes you more productive and what have you. I'd actually love the travel to pick up a bit more. I think the dream would be maybe one trip per month would be nice. I'm probably at one every two or three months now. So trying to find the right balance. I love travel, but I also used to you know, resent it a bit. That's one. Another thing... One of the habits I picked up during lockdown is walking calls. And it's both walking with a person next to you and walking with a headset on. But what I realized is, you know, having whole mornings or whole afternoons of, of you know, being on a video call can be a bit, you know, de-energizing, is that a word? You know, yep. energy sapping, let's yep. say. And so I try to make a point of every morning, every afternoon, having at least one call where I'm literally walking and talking. Now, I'm lucky I live quite in central London, so a lot of people come and meet me at the Tube and we'll go for a walk. 
but also if, if someone else, if, if basically the, the, the rule to me is if there's no screen sharing, I'm walking and I'll just put a headset on and walk if they're not in central London. And if they are in central London and want to yeah, meet up somewhere, I'll go for a walk. That's really nice. So I, I clock maybe 18 or 20,000 steps a day. Uh, and obviously there's some running in that, but the running's three times a week. The rest is mostly speed walking and talking. Of those runs that you've done over the, I think you've, you, you know, you've visited so many different countries across your career. Are there any runs that stick out in memorable places and times that you will carry with you for the rest of your life that you could share with us? There's so many gorgeous runs. It's, uh, it's always hard to pick a favorite. And one that just springs to mind now, which might surprise people, is actually the Seattle waterfront. Because it's really peaceful, really calm water. And I would nearly always see seals sort of playing around in the water, which was just kind of cool. But yeah, I've, I've, I used to run a lot. I've lived quite a lot in Singapore and love running around uh, the, the big reservoir there. Running up the peak in Hong Kong is pretty awesome. Yeah, London, I love the New York. The, the big cities that have good water lines are good. Like New York's amazing. London's amazing, mm. et cetera. Yeah, just sort of running up and down the rivers. I'm trying to think. Oh, oh, another really awesome one is Toronto. Toronto has some islands just off it. And what I would do in Toronto is get a ferry to these islands. And then the islands are all linked by little mini bridges. And you just run around the islands at sunrise, which is just awesome. Really beautiful. And you're looking back at Toronto, which is a really nice skyline. Fantastic. I, that, the Seattle one is, is a favorite of mine as well because our head office is in Seattle. So that run along the waterfront is my, uh, after a flight the next morning, there's nothing like sort of going down there and, uh, and as you say, resetting the body clock, uh, being next to water as well. It's, it's a fanta- fantastic run. I've clocked some really good paces on that waterfront too. I don't know what it is about it. So it's sort of like, oh yeah, I just got a new personal vest. Well, I don't know if you've been in the last couple of years, but the, the big flyover that used to run alongside the water is is gone now. So it, it's even, oh, it's even, even better, better now no, than I didn't it was. Know that. Yeah. Very cool. It's a, it's a lovely part of the world. Uh, switching back to leadership. I mean, you've you've obviously worked with teams in, in all sorts of different teams in so many different countries. Where, where did you get your, and where do you get your inspiration from in leadership? Who who inspires you? Who, who, who do you look at? It's really been... A, a lot of I, I've been lucky that yeah I've worked in organisations that take leadership seriously. So it's a mixture of training and role models. But it, although you know I think people like Gandhi and Churchill and others are massively inspiring. I think it's a bit more just kind of the some of my early bosses in the army, some of my early bosses you know, bosses at McKinsey and and Coca Cola. I've just been really lucky to work for some awesome people and. And it just, it just like, I'm a big believer in learning by doing, which doesn't mean I don't believe in academic stuff, right? Yeah, I think one of the best ways to learn is learning by doing. Yeah, Learning how to lead by having a good leader is one of the best ways. So I, I guess it's just been like 15 or 20 really good people that you know, I've been able to learn from in my life. And then probably uh, having a lot of people who, when I have been their leader, have been given good feedback, good and bad. You know, like my first... Staff sergeant in the army, I turn up as a fresh face officer. Technically, I'm his boss, but he knows way more than me. And he would pull, pull me on one side at least once a week saying, sir, think you could have done that better. And um, we'd have a chat about it and I'd try and improve. Um, so leadership from below, as it were, as well as above. Mm-hmm. Were, were there any life skills from your time in the army that are with you today to this point? Any, anything that you kind of, any hacks, tips, things like that, that you could kind of share as, as stuff that you're still using? Yeah, well, one of the things that a lot of people say about me um, in more recent life, oh yeah, since my post-army life is I'm always calm. I'm actually often very excitable, but I'm mm. never panicking or stressed. 
And I don't know how much of that is personality. I had to have some of it probably fitness. But I think some of it is because once in the army, you see a lot of bad stuff and you, you get some what could be called really serious and stressful situations. Once you leave the army, I've never been in a situation where people might die. Mm. So it's actually very easy to stay calm. So there's an element of context. It's like, you know, realistically, what's the worst that can happen? You get fired. Okay, get another job. You know, what's the worst that happened? You know, your, your project fails. Okay, no one's going to die. You know, it, it, I'm not saying, yeah, let it fail. But, you know, just panicking doesn't help. Mm. I think that's probably a big one. Another one is just taking time to really get to know people. I think... Yeah, a lot of corporate uh, environments, you know, it's much more about just doing, going to the office, doing work and getting home. And these days it's not even going to the office. And I, I get the impression a lot of organizations just haven't, still haven't found the right way to get to know the human rather than the, the task execution person. So, you know, like all my one-on-ones don't start with how are you doing on the job, they start with how are you? Mm. Uh, because quite frankly, if your dog just died, let's talk about that because that's more important than the task. So just, I think that kind of concept setting and making sure everything is focused on being a good human and, and helping other people as humans. Because ultimately, if you help those humans, you're going to help them succeed in work too. And if the people around you succeed, then you succeed. So I mean, the, the tagline, I don't know if you call it that, the, the key phrase at, at Santos is serve to lead. You know, if you help your, your people succeed, then ultimately you succeed. Do, do you think the last few years has, has accelerated that, that mentality given um, everything that's been going on in the world? I think a, company, a lot of companies got lost. I mean, these days, you know, big organizations isn't my world, so, but I do hear lots of you know, horror stories from it. So my world is, is either portfolio professionals or the startups and scale-ups uh, that they work with. I think most startups and scale-ups have adapted pretty well because I think startups are just more adaptable. So, okay, we're working from home. Cool, right, okay, let's work it out. Let's do virtual team building. Let's do virtual 360 feedback. You know, let's, let's, uh, you know, let's do those walking meetings. Uh, you know, so... I see these sort of startups adapting pretty well. They're not, they haven't suddenly floundered because no one's in the office. I, I hear more horror stories from elsewhere. I don't think any of us have really worked out, you know, how to optimize the new normal. Like I, I'm lucky the portfolio collective, we founded it on lockdown. So we formed lockdown habits from the beginning. And myself and my co-founder are both very focused on doing things right, you know, whether it's, you know, with team or individuals or, you know, feedback or whatever as much as we can on, on a sort of uh, cash-strapped budget of a startup. But uh, I, I, I do think with startups and scale-ups, they're mm-hmm. probably 70 or 80% of the way through the transition to the new normal. I get the impression large organizations might only be 50% of the way there. And if anybody is listening to this in that position of uh, being in a, a startup, they've got a great idea, they're wanting to um, you know, take it to the world. What, what in your experience is, is a killer piece of advice that you would give to them, somebody with an idea wanting to make a business out of it? I think the first thing is find yourself a, a, either a good mentor or advisory board or four or five thoughtful friends who really care about you, really like your idea, but will also give you honest feedback. And ideally find people with different backgrounds. You know, you probably need an engineer, a marketer, a, a finance person, et cetera, to sort of kick the tires from multiple angles. And if, if you don't know where to find them, quite frankly, join the Portfolio Collective, post in the newsfeed, you're looking for help, and you'll have a bunch mm. of really smart people helping you within minutes. You, and I get the sense from our conversation, are a, a competitive person and, and you like challenges. Mm-hmm. How do you balance that with, you know, the human side and, and the side to emotionally connect? Is, is, that a, is that a challenge? Do the two go hand in hand or, or do they buff up against each other? Learning to take time to get to know people on a, on a sort of deep level 
it's something I had to learn, you know, being intense and competitive and obsessed with, you know, doing more and more stuff. I think I was probably born with, but the whole sort of taking time, simple example, one of the frameworks taught at Sandhurst around, you know, leadership to do it well is you've got to focus on the task, the team, the individual, you know, I have no problem focusing on the task, the stuff to get done, let's get it done. You know, how can we do it better, faster, whatever, even team. Yeah, how's the team performing as a team would be a natural focus, but the individual saying, is each individual okay? And have I taken the time? Was something that in my early years uh, you know, as a leader, I would sometimes miss. I think now I have the sort of the mental checks and, and I put in place the routines around one-on-ones and other stuff that I'm probably a lot, well, I, I'm definitely a lot better at it, but it's an area where left to my own devices, I might slip, but it comes a little bit comes back to calendar management is because I'm so obsessive with calendar management and blocking and stuff, I block time to make sure I have quality time with individuals so that, so that that stuff happens. So this morning I had breakfast with my co-founder, you know, relationships and co-founders are massively important. If it ever breaks, uh, you're in trouble. So we have breakfast every Friday with the odd, we skip the odd one. And, and the same with other direct reports, key people in my life, yeah, including obviously wife, kids, et cetera, is trying to make sure you get good one-on-one time with, with anyone that matters in your life. That's really powerful, isn't it? The task, the team, the individual, and making sure that all those three spaces are, are covered. I mean, you, you, it seems like that's just a natural thing for you now, but for some people listening to this, that might be quite a, a useful tool to, to measure where they're putting their time and, and how successful they are in different parts of their life. It was a nice, simple one that certainly worked for me. I mean, there's, there's other frameworks out there, but it's one that because it's so easy to remember and because I knew I had a gap in one of the three. Is <laughs> so, okay, those two are, are generally good. You know, let's focus on number three. And uh, yeah, it was helpful for me. Switching back to fitness and, and running to dig into that a little bit more. What's your sort of routine at the moment in terms of um, sort of speed, distance? You know, when you go out running, do you have goals in mind with each specific run or d- does it just depend on how you're feeling that morning? So one of the things I do is I sign up to a few half marathons a year and say, I don't want to slip. So I'm now, depending on, on a good day, 140 for a half marathon, on a bad day, 150. So I kind of say, yeah, I want to be 145 or less and I want to do a few half marathons a year. That almost is like the, the way I measure myself. And then between those, I can almost do whatever I like, providing I don't slip. So I'll do at least one long run every week, which will be minimum six miles, yeah, 10K, never do less than that. But typically it's more like nine, 10, 11. Uh, as over me, it's kind of from Chelsea, hit the river, go down to the Tower Bridge, come back, something like that. But it might be around the parks or something. So that's the long one. And then I'll do a shorter one midweek. And then I throw in some other stuff too. Like I'm pretty partial to Barry's boot camp, And now and again, a bit of boxing training as well, just to sort of mix it up a bit. And on those runs, I don't really set a goal, but I do monitor and then something kicks in. So... I'll always, I always try to start off chill because one of the things I've noticed with running is historically I would start off too fast. So definitely start off saying, take it easy. That the speed for the first mile doesn't matter, but about half a mile in, I'm saying, no, you can pick this up. You know, don't be so lazy. But I, I try to sort of start off chill so I don't, you know, kill myself. And then I'll just be kind of listening, typically coming in from Fitbit, you know, what was my pace per mile, per half mile. And it's like, you know, if I'm on a flat or a downhill, I want to be doing something like seven minutes a mile. On an uphill, I might let it slip to eight, something like that. And uh, now and again, I might sort of do a sprint, you know, you know up some steps or something just for some extra pain. It's it, about as relaxed as I get is that uh, there isn't really a goal, but then I kind of keep setting for myself lots of little goals on the way around. The main goal is the half marathons is, you know, keep it up. 
And, and do you find, you know, I, a question I ask myself a lot as we get uh, older, do you find your goals and, and what you want out of, you know, both fitness and, and business? Do you, do you notice that changing? If I start with fitness right now, I think I finally accepted that holding it where I am is okay. Because uh, yeah, I'm somebody who generally likes progress and progress, you know, it means getting fitter, fitter, faster, whatever, stronger. Yeah, mixing it up. And I've kind of said, like, I'm pretty fit. So, you know, hold it there would be good. And then I worry that that's somehow giving in, you know, really, I should still be getting fitter. But in essence, I was mega fit through my 20s. So I was in the army, let it slide a bit during my 30s. And from about 40 to now, I'm 50, what am I now? 52. Yeah, for 12 years, it's been better, better, better every year, which is kind of nice to the point where I'm now probably as fit as or fitter than I was in the army. In terms of life goals, yeah, I mean, things definitely evolve. I think I've I've got better at balancing stuff. I mean, you know, when I was in the army, I was away eight, nine months of the year, including weekends without a mobile phone. It was just work, work, work because, you know, there were missions to do. I think I'm better at kind of saying, yeah, you know, life is a marathon, not a sprint, um, to use a running analogy. You know, you've got to sort of balance, you know, work, family, money, health, et cetera. Uh, now, my, my definition of balance is pretty intense. Uh, yeah, it's not like chill balance, but it is balance, balance. Yeah, you know, it's like don't run seven days a week because actually in that time I could be spending time with the kids or or learning something new or whatever. So you know, where I'm at now, which is typically three things a week is good. What I would say is when I'm on, when I'm off work, I exercise seven days a week. So it's definitely something that I do more of when I can. Do you think you're enjoying life more now than were you when you were in the, the more corporate world? You know, when you were thinking back to when you were sort of, you know, leading CEOs of, of, of you know, businesses in that space. Was that a tough time? And do you think you're enjoying life more now? Definitely enjoying life more now than, let's say, early careers. So I think I'm definitely someone who likes independence. Now, you know, when I was the CEO of a mid-sized company, I had a lot of independence. So I think once I hit CEO... I kind of felt like I had a lot of freedom to really sort of um, you know, have ideas and execute on them. Whereas when you're in a big corporate, you know, you are a cog in a wheel and, you know, and things break down if people don't, broadly speaking, try to fit in. I was always a bit of a maverick. But yeah, I love, I love the flexibility now. I mean, effectively, I'm building a startup and having a portfolio career and doing a bunch of pro bono stuff and doing a bit of teaching at a university. And it's all kind of adds up. It's really intellectually stimulating. It pays the bills. Yeah, it's creating sort of long-term wealth and I'm kind of balancing it with family and health as well. So I feel like it's just a really nice balance. So it sounds great. And if, if, if somebody is listening to this and they're not in that position uh, and, and they, you know, they've, got, they've got a job, they are working for somebody, they are doing a job, a nine-to-five, but they have aspirations, they want to move in a different direction – what would you say to them in terms of breaking that? I mean, you mentioned there, you know, you've been a bit of a maverick and, and you know, doing things your own way. There's this, there's a certain thing that you get through having that different approach that does take you in different places. But if somebody maybe doesn't have the confidence to, to break out from what they're doing, how should they be operating? What should they be thinking about? Well, certainly uh, within the portfolio, we've got a lot of the uh, articles and research around how do you get started, let's say, on a portfolio career, because quite frankly, the answer isn't quit straight away. You know, it's, it's work. Start doing some thinking. You know, who am I? What would I rather be doing? What would my portfolio look like? And then start taking tangible steps, like get yourself up at your first side hustle. You know, maybe you do it for free at the beginning while you learn some skills and get some confidence, but then start charging for it. And then you get your head around how do you brand your side hustle? How do you price it? How do you deliver it? Is it something you would like to do more of? Also, if you have a side hustle, it also means you can save some money. 
it's always good to create a financial buffer before ditching the day job. And then before you know it, and I was actually chatting to someone this morning who has just ditched the day job and she had built a buffer, built a personal brand, learned some new skills. And at some stage, she managed to line up two additional clients so that she could have confidence to ditch a day job. And actually, when she quit from the day job, they said, please work part-time. So she's ended up doing her old job part-time with two amazing side hustles. The two side hustles pay way more than her day job did. This doesn't happen very often, but literally in two weeks, she's gone from one full-time job to a portfolio career with three elements. But arguably, it's been a couple of years coming. You know, she's been building the skills, building the network, looking for the right opportunity, building up the confidence, and suddenly, boom, it's happening. So it could be a two-year journey if you haven't prepared. If you have prepared, you've got a side hustle, you've built your personal brand, worked out what you're going to do, you, know, you can go all in. And obviously, there are some people who get laid off and think, right, I've just had whatever, three months pay off, I need to work out something else. You know, they need to move a bit faster. But if, if, if lost and not know where to go, literally just join the Portfolio Collective, come on to a few events, read a few articles, and we'll help you get started. And we'll make sure all the details are in the, the notes for the podcast if, if people want to get in touch. The security that a full-time gig with somebody else taking the responsibility offers is tempting to stay in that safe place, isn't it? But everything that you're describing and that the, the freedom... Uh, once you achieve it, nobody really looks back, do they, once they're in that position? Security is an interesting concept. I'd argue in this day and age, with the pace of change getting faster and faster, where are the secure jobs? I mean, people probably thought they were secure at Google. They just laid off 10% of the workforce last week. Yeah, it's like security is a more and more nebulous thing. Yeah, investors don't invest mm -hmm. in one stock because it might crash. They build a portfolio because that way they sort of balance risk. And I'd argue in, in, in this day and age, and certainly in the future, it may be more secure for people to actually have multiple revenue streams, because what's the worst that can happen? You lose your biggest client, you lose 20, 30% of your income, but you still got 70 or 80%. And you, know, you find another client or find another way to make money. But it's just a constantly evolving portfolio rather than all your eggs in one basket. Makes so much sense. Ben, running aside, can you uh, give us the name of a, a business tool, an app, maybe even a person, something that you couldn't do without in your uh, business life? I, there's, there's so many. I, mean, I mentioned Calendly earlier. It, it just you know, probably saves me 20 minutes a day just on scheduling stuff. I, I'd probably add to that superhuman for my email, probably saves me another 20 minutes a day. A long list of others uh, of things that save me 10 minutes here, 20 minutes there, but I've, you know, in the focus on productivity and juggling multiple things. I'm a sucker for a bit of software or an app that saves me, you know, time. And then flipping that around, uh, business aside, uh, is there a favorite bit of running kit or an accessory that you can't do without? Probably my Fitbit. I mean, I've had one on my wrist now for 10 years and I've got lots of friends and family on it too. So there's a lot of banter, a lot of competitions, uh, as well as all the sort of scientific data that comes with it. Final question. Uh, what advice would you give to anybody in business or a leadership role, listening to this, considering getting more active and specifically taking up running? I'd say just do it as a work, put it in the calendar, make it happen, and also think about how your team can do something similar. Put it in the calendar is great advice as well, because uh, unless we block out that time, we won't do these things, will we? Absolutely. Ben, thank you so much. It's been great to catch up. Uh, we'll put the information about the Portfolio Collective uh, in the show notes uh, and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Thanks to Ben Legg for his time on Run the Business this week and explaining what a portfolio career is and why it's so relevant these days. 
I loved Ben's energy and lots of good business inspiration and nuggets in that conversation as well. We packed a lot in. Ben's story of bringing running, health and fitness into the business that he had in the US, carrot stick and fun as he described it, and how that actually saved a huge amount of money for the business, but also fitted with the lifestyle and values of the leadership team. If you're a business leader, how could you get running or general fitness more into your company in a real and authentic way? So worth giving some thought to. Yeah, it was good for the business, but it was a good thing to do anyway, wasn't it? Another mention for Calendly and how being organized with business and running time can make such a big difference. Ben sounds super on it in how he divides his time between the most important things in his life. Are you doing that at the moment? Is that time division working for you? He also talked about getting to know the human rather than the task execution person, as he put it. All one-on-ones don't have to start with how you're doing on the job but rather, how are you? The human side came through. And running is something that opens up some of that ability to connect with people on a more human level, I think. It really does. If you're enjoying Run the Business, then please follow, share, and comment as it really helps grow the show. Thanks to Anna Harding and Chris Kelly for producing. And thanks to all those people who've reached out on LinkedIn across the last few weeks as well with positive feedback and suggestions for future episodes. It really is good to hear from you. So thank you for that. I'm Anthony Gay. And until next time, keep running and keep chasing your goals. Hold up. 